Happy Sabbath. Before we start, I have a couple of announcements. Um, just in case you missed it, we have a 6K coming up. Um, it's May 13th. Um, pretty much what it is is that um, the average um, people, who need to, uh, people who need to get water, the average distance that they travel to get water is apparently 6K, 6 kilometers in Africa. So we're raising funds to help them to get clean water. So please, all you runners, even if you're not a runner, 6K, you can definitely do it. So please sign up. If you have any questions, please talk to HP. HP, raise your hand. HP and Diana, talk to them if you have any questions about. Can you raise your hand, please? Yeah, 6K. Let's talk to him, okay? So that's May 13th. Today for campus ministry, that's right here. Campus ministry right here and right here and some in the back. Um, campus ministry is doing a park day um, it's gonna, they're going to meet at 2 o'clock at Brimar Park. Um, dinner is provided, okay? Not lunch. Dinner is provided. So come around 2 o'clock. We're going to spend some time at the park, and there will be dinner. So please bring your friends. We're going to have a great, wonderful Sabbath together. Who here remembers their very first job? Anyone? You do? Okay. Okay. Do you remember your first job? I do. I remember mine. For me, it was the summer after I graduated from high school at PUC Prep. My first job was the cashier at College Chevron gas station at PUC. You know what I'm talking about? When you go up there, there's a gas station. My first job was to work there. Cashier. Sometimes I had to open the gas station at 5 o'clock in the morning. Sometimes I had to close the gas station at 11 o'clock in the evening. And that meant printing out all the credit card receipts and counting the cash to match the sales of the gas that day in the gas station. One time, I was telling up the receipts, and I was matching all that, and I was doing my work in the office of the gas station, and I felt something on my feet. So I kind of I looked under the desk, and I found a rat kind of chilling and walking and rubbing its body on my foot. So that night, I actually did all the work on top of the desk. I kind of like, like did my work on top of this. I was really scared. I didn't know what to do with that rat. I had to make sure the bathrooms were clean. I had to clean the trashes out. I had to make sure there was clean soap water for people to come in and wash their windshield. Yeah, when you use that water, somebody put clean soap water there that morning. For PUC gas station, I did that. And when people came in to pay for gas, I had to smile and greet them. Do you know why I had to get my job, get my first job? It's not because I needed the money, okay? One day, my girlfriend, who's my current wife, <laughs> and my girlfriend's mother 
who is my current mother-in-law. They were talking and they said, You know, Richard, you are a spoiled international student. What a terrible thing to say. You're a spoiled international student. Your parents pay for everything. They send you money and you buy whatever you want. You have no idea the value of money. When I heard that, I was like, I'm going to go get a job. So, teenager, still teenager, I went to the college market and I filled out and then I got a job as a cashier at a gas station. I worked really hard. I did. I was always punctual, always on time. I learned to be responsible. I did learn the value of money. So before my work, uh, Amy and I used to go out on dates and I would take her to this beautiful and nice restaurant in Napa Valley. And then one day, just after I started working, I was looking at her, her meal and I was like, Oh my goodness, I worked three hours for that dish she's eating. <laughs> and after that, our dates changed. We used to go to nice Bosco's and Trevino, nice restaurants in Napa. After that, we started going to Taco Bell. Okay? Taco Bell. And I realized that even Taco Bell, it's like if you get two burritos, I have to work one full hour for two burritos. I was like, oh my goodness. I learned the value of money. However, there was something that I did not learn. There's something very important that I did not learn. I still didn't understand what it meant to be a Christian at the workplace. Nobody taught me what it meant to be a Christian at your work, day in and day out. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this beautiful Sabbath. Now, as we open the Bible, open our hearts also. In Jesus' name, amen. So everyone in our church, Okay, everyone in our church are either in training to go out into the workforce, right? Or already in the workplace every day during the week, right? Isn't that right? Except for the dentist. I heard that they work one or two days a month. So, no, no I'm just kidding. I, I know they work hard. Everyone in our church is either studying hard so that they can get into the workforce and work hard, or we are working, right? Why, though? Why? Why do we have to work hard? Why do we have to work? It's not about the money, is it? Is it just about the money? Is it just so that you can support your family and go on fancy vacations? Is that what it is? Is it just about bringing food on the table and putting roof over our, our, our head? Is that what it is? No, right? Don't you ever wonder if God has a special purpose for your work? We do it all the time, every day. 
Don't you ever wonder there's a special way that God wants us to do our work? What does God want from my job? How should I be different from others in my job as a Christian? As a Christian dentist, as a Christian student, as a Christian physician, pharmacist, uh, teachers, lawyers, whatever you are, how should we be different from others who do not know Jesus? Right? How should we be different? So please turn with me to Ephesians chapter 6. Okay? Ephesians chapter 6. Verse 5. Slaves, obey your earthly masters with respect and fear and with sincerity of heart, just as you would obey Christ. Obey them not only to win their favor when their eyes is on you, but as slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from your heart. Verse 7. Serve wholeheartedly as if you were serving the Lord, not people, because you know that the Lord will reward each one for whatever good they do, whether they are slave or free. And masters, Treat your slaves in the same way. Do not threaten them, since you know that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven, and there's no favoritism with him. Some of you may be thinking, I'm not a slave, nor do I own a slave. So, Pastor Richard, I don't know what you're talking about. This message is completely irrelevant to me. At a glance, this passage may seem irrelevant to the 21st century mind, but no, this passage is irrelevant to this fast-paced, work, 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 times and culture all of us belong to. The background of this passage is something we cannot ignore. So I'm going to talk about the background a little bit. In Ephesians chapter 5, Paul, the writer of Ephesians, reminds the people of Ephesus that If you accept Christ, if you belong to Jesus, then you need to behave like someone who belongs to Christ in your household. Okay? Where you live, in your household. Okay? Then he gives detailed instructions how to act like Christians for the the relations in, in their household. Firstly, what he does is he talks about husband and wife relationships. If you want to get married, or if you're thinking about getting married, which is most of you, raise your hand. Yeah, you know who you are. Then please read chapter 5 of Ephesians, okay? Very important. Husband and wife relationships, okay? If you have kids and if you have parents, please read Ephesians chapter 6 because it talks about parents and children relationships in their household, okay? And then for some reason, Paul talks about the relationship between masters and slaves. He goes, Slaves, listen to your earthly masters and respect them. Masters, what did, uh, what did Paul say here? Masters, do the same. Right? So here, in today's passage, Paul addresses the relationship between masters and slaves and and the parents and the children, husbands and wives, and this was the family matter in that culture. Okay? 
He meant for this to happen in their Christian home. Do you know why? Because 2,000 years ago, in Greco-Roman world, slave and master relationship was a domestic matter. The slaves usually helped around the house, even if with the family business, it would mostly be farming. So the whole family would get involved, right? And they would all work together. So this was a family matter. Master and slave relationships definitely represent the workplace dynamics that we have in the 21st century. I know they, it happened a long time ago in the old days, but it still happens to us because you and I, we go to work every day, right? These days, we like to separate our work from home, right? We don't want these two worlds to mix or cross, right? And we always kind of struggle with it. If we bring home your work, that's a bad thing, right? Well, it wasn't like that back then. Most business or farming were home business or family business. This is when some of you are thinking, okay, wait, wait, Pastor Richard, wait a minute. Are you talking about slavery here? And you're like, you, you talk as if slavery is okay. And why does it sound like Apostle Paul is okay with the slavery? Why does the Bible speak against slavery? Well, here's the thing. I think there are several answers that question to that question, but let me mention just two. I can give you many answers, but just two, okay? First of all, it is important to recognize that slavery in Paul's day was very, very different from the race-based slavery we are familiar with in American history. Okay? It is closer to uh, indentured servitude where someone... Um, becomes obligated for a period of time when they owe money, when they have debt. Okay? So slavery at the time, it was not forever. Okay? It was not, it was not forever. They would be freed at a certain point after they pay off their debt. Second, we must remember that Paul is writing a letter here to people that he knows well. Okay? The church in Ephesus had both slaves and masters within it. His personal opinion on the evils of slavery would probably not have done them much good. Okay? Clear instruction about leaving out the gospel as a slave or a master would be much more helpful in that time period. Okay? So what Paul's doing is, I'm focusing on one thing, and that is the gospel. I'm focusing on one thing, and that is God's good news, Jesus, right? So Paul says some things like, um, there's neither Jew nor Gentile, nor slave nor free, nor there is male or female, for you are one, all one, in Christ Jesus. So that's the message that Paul is trying to bring out. Um, that, was what, that was what was important to Paul as he was addressing the people of Ephesus. They needed more practical help, and that's exactly what Paul provided with the people of Ephesus. However, what we must recognize 
Here is the revolutionary household relationships that Paul suggests here. In this culture, the, the husband, the father, the master, okay, or one person held the power. So in their home, in, in, in their household, the father, the husband, the master, with one person held the power. And they controlled their wives, their children, their slaves with power and violence. You see, I'm not trying to glamorize slavery at all here. And Paul's not trying to do that either. It's a terrible thing, right? But what Paul's saying here is that it wasn't just the slaves, but they oppressed the women, their wives. They oppressed the children. These fathers, these masters, they ruled their home with violence and power. And what Paul's doing here is that, no, 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 no. If you belong to Christ, if you accept Jesus Christ, the way you behave at home, in your household, should be different from everyone else in your world. So that's what we're learning here in today's passage. Instead of oppressing your wife, your children, and slaves with power and violence, you follow the way of Jesus. Okay, and treat them with love and respect. So that's the message that Paul's writing to all the people in the whole household. Okay, so that's the background of today's passage. This context gives us a better picture of the reason why Paul is addressing the master and slave relationship. Now then, we must, we need to just drive out the principle from the passage to apply to us in the 21st century, okay? So what does this passage teach us about our workplace and our faith? The most direct application is to our situation as employees and employers, okay? I'm not suggesting that a slave is just like an employee. No, not at all. What I'm saying here is that same relationship principle that Paul writes here can be applied at our workplace, in your life and in my life. Okay? So we all have our employees and employers, right? I mean, if, if, if we all have our bosses, and sometimes we, have, we are the boss and we have people who work for us. Right? If you're a student, you're not the boss at all. You are, you're an employee, and your job is to study. Right? And if you're on top at work, like I don't have any boss ahead, uh, on top of me, then pretty much your customers are your bosses. Right? They are your employers or your patients. If you're like me, if you're like me, everyone is your boss. You know what I'm saying? Like, I, 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 I have these church members that I have to serve. I have the church leaders I have to serve. Even children at our church, I have to serve them. I have colleague pastors that I work with. You think, you think, you think Pastor Isaac and Pastor Jenny, do you think I'm their boss? In what way am I their boss? No, seriously. I always go ask them, like, how can I help you? Yes, I, am, I, am, I, I hold them accountable, but they hold me accountable too, right? 
Everyone is my boss. And God, of course, is the master boss. Right? So, man, I'm like at the bottom and the bottom of the, of the food chain. Also, I go home. Okay, I'm not complaining. Okay? I'm, just, I'm just sharing, okay? I go home and I have to serve my children. I have to feed them. I have to clean them. Well, not that I don't have to clean them anymore, but you know, you know what I mean, right? And then I have a wife. She looks down on me every day. I'm like right there at the bottom. Okay, let's focus, okay? This is what Paul is actually saying here in today's passage. Every day when you go to work, okay, every day when you go to work, every time at your workplace, you work like a Christian. Not just, not, not just a mere man, but a man and a woman of God. How? And this is what Paul says. How? By working respectfully, number one, and by working with integrity, number two, and by working wholeheartedly, number three. These are three principles that he shares in this, in this passage. And as a boss, you do the same, the Bible says. You do the same in verse 9. Hence so, Lomal in the church, if you are a Christian worker, you don't just show up at work. You come to work to show Christ. One more time, because when I wrote this, I was like, I couldn't believe I actually wrote this. I was like, wow. Wow, really? Listen. If you're, a, if you're a Christian, if you follow Christ, you don't just show up at work. You come to work to show Christ. Every day when you go to work, oh man, I, I work for Jesus. So every person you meet, every person you encounter, every student you meet, okay, you treat them like Jesus. Every patient you see, you, you treat them like Jesus. Every person that works for you, you treat them like Jesus. That's what he's saying. If you're a student, you respect your teachers or professors. Why? Because they deserve it? No. You know, some teachers are not that good. Right? But you still respect them? Why? Because they deserve, they deserve respect? No. Because you respect God. The God that you love and you serve because you respect your God, you respect your teachers. If you're the boss, you go to work, and in respect and love for God, you show respect to your employees. You go to work and show love and respect to your colleagues, nurses, assistants, receptionists, janitors, doormen, Anybody that God sends to your face, in your way, you treat them with love and respect. Not because they deserve it. Because you love and respect God. You see, that's the message we have today. Because of Jesus, you serve. 
you're a better worker, you're a better student, you're a better mom, you're a better husband, you're a better boss. Work not only when your boss is watching. You know, I used to do that a lot when I was little. I had to play cello. Yes, I did play cello for 10 years. And um, my parents would go to like Bible studies and worship. And then when they were about to go, i get the cello. I'm like, I'm going to play for an hour. You know, and then, and, then, and then they go to Bible study and then I rest the whole time. And then about the time they come, I pick it up like, I've been practicing the whole... Don't laugh. I mean, you know what I'm talking about, right? You've done that at a certain point, right? So instead of doing that at work, we work with integrity because we belong to Jesus. Because we belong to Jesus. Don't threaten your employees. Come on. If you don't listen to me, I'm going to fire you. No, not that. But treat them respectfully by remembering that you, the boss, and your employee, you serve the same master, same God. I believe the main point was already made by Paul in verse 8. I don't know if you caught that or not, but that's it. When you work, this is what Paul's saying, when you work, Work as if you work for the Lord. When you treat somebody, you treat them as if you're treating Jesus. That's what he's saying. Can you imagine doing this every day? Can you imagine doing this every day to every person? It's like every person, when I serve them, I'm serving the Lord. You know what we do instead? We work for the world. We go to the world for the, during the week and we work for the world or the money and then we set that aside and then we come to church like, oh, I serve God. And then, oh, I got to go back to the world now and we go back to the world. That's what we do, right? On Sabbath, we work for Jesus and then rest of the week, we work for myself or the money or the world, whatever that we worship. We work and make money during the week. Then we come to God and our family on the weekend. That's not what God wants. And you know, some of us are in the workforce. Uh, some of us in the workforce know what I'm talking about, because some of us have realized at a certain point in our career that, oh my goodness, I need Jesus every day. I need him in my work. That is exactly what Paul is referring to. Your work belongs to God. Your every day belongs to God. So your life belongs to God. That's what Paul is trying to teach us here. Loma Linda Church, this this gives a whole new meaning to our work. Whole new meaning. Don't be a Christian only when you show up at church, but at your home and at your work. 
Look at this. Five times in these verses, slaves are told this instruction. They are to obey their earthly masters at... Can we show this, please? They are... Okay. They are to obey their earthly masters as you would obey Christ, right? They are not to do the right thing just when being watched by the master, but at all times as servants of Christ, verse 6. In this way, they are to do the will of God from the heart, verse 6. And here, this one sums it all. Serve wholeheartedly as if you were serving the Lord. Remember that, as if you're serving the Lord. Every time you go to work, the people that you deal with, serve them as if you are serving the Lord. That's what I discovered from this passage this week. You know, during the Middle Ages, the church taught that jobs in the church were of greater worth than those outside the world outside the church. It was more holy to be a priest than to be a farmer. So what it means is that my work as a pastor is way more superior than your manual work that you do. Good old days, right? (laughs) Sacred jobs were inherently of greater value than secular jobs. However, the Protestant reformers renounced this view. And they said, no, that is absolutely wrong. That's incorrect. For example, William Tyndale was an early English reformer who wrote that if our desire is to please God, pouring water, washing dishes, cobbling shoes, and preaching the word is all one. All equal in God's eyes. Being a pastor is not the only only holy work, but anything you do for Christ in Christ is holy work. Look what Martin Luther wrote. He, he, um, he wrote more extensively on this, on this than most, okay? So I have this quote for you. Do you have it? Okay, here, we go. here, um, here it is. Can you read it? The works of monks and priests, however, holy and arduous they may be, do not differ one whit in the sight of God from the words of the rustic laborer in the field or the woman going about her household tests but that all works are measured before God by faith alone. Indeed, the menial housework of a manservant or maidservant is often more acceptable to God than all the fastings and other works of a monk or a priest because the monk or priest lacks faith. You know, Loma in the church, work is actually a part of God's creation. Do you realize that? 
This takes us back to Genesis chapter 2. And it's a view of work. Okay? We learned that God created us to work because we bear His image and He works. Okay? He's a worker. All right? Think about the difference between humanity and the rest of the animal world. Think about it. Animals don't work. Okay? I have a dog, and he's a retriever. And in the dog category, retriever is a work dog. You know what kind of my work dog does? Nothing. We give him food, and he eats. Animals don't work. Some of you know my very special, passionate hatred towards birds. You, you know, right? So, I have these pigeons in my house. Oh, these pigeons every morning, they're like, ooh, ooh. They wake us up. And several spots in my house they live, and I'm trying to get rid of them all the time. But let me tell you something about my pigeons. You know what they do all day? Absolutely nothing. Absolutely nothing. You know what they do? They do something. They spread droppings all around my house. They're absolutely useless. That's, that's all they do. Pigeons. Okay? That's what animals do. I have a lot of pictures about pigeons and all my stuff. I'm going to stop right there. I got all kinds of stories to share about my pigeons, but I won't because I need to control myself, okay? But here's the point. We alone, human beings, we alone are called of God, okay, to rule and subdue the earth. Animals, more or less, take the world as it comes without shaping it to any significant degree. They live in caves and then hollowed out places in trees and holes in, in the ground and, and under my roof, you know. But humans are called to shape the world, to take trees and make houses and furniture out of them. In doing so, we're following the example of our God in His image, in their image, who creates things. There is a diversity of jobs and calling, but not a difference in value before God. But instead of beautiful calling, we focus on something bad. Maybe this is why human beings despise work. We go, you know why we have to work so hard? It's because God cursed the ground. We've sinned and God cursed the ground. That's why we have to work hard. As if we were built and created for nothing. Normal in the church, that's not true. Not true at all. Okay? Think about this. Even in the midst of a curse, there's something still good. Okay? There's a promise of fruitfulness. God said, you work the field and you will eat from your 
hard work from the field. God cursed the ground, and we have to labor, but there's something good comes out of it from our hard work. The biblical view of work at this period of time after the whole the, the, the fall and you know before the earth was, was created um, is that work is good, okay? Work is both good and bad, but something good can come out of it. What it means is that in brokenness, even something in, in brokenness, something good can come out of it when you work hard. It's hard work now, but you will bear fruit later. It's tough now, but there will be fruit from your labor. You work and study hard now, students are listening, but you will graduate and you will celebrate. Amen? Yes. We learn that even in brokenness, we can bear something good. The work is hard, but something good can come out of it. Loma in the church, I'm sorry, it's 12 pages. It was 14 pages, but I made it short. Okay, so 12 pages. So hold on, I'm almost there. Okay? Loma in the church, here's the point I'm trying to make this morning. We need to realize that our boss, our boss is not the ultimate audience for our work. Success is not our ultimate audience for our work. What we find today is that Jesus is our ultimate audience. You know why you should work hard? Because Jesus is watching. You know why you should work hard? Because Jesus is your master. Not so that you can be some, somebody wonderful. Not so that you can have success. Not so that you can have good cars and good houses. No. Because God is our master. This gives not just meaning, but also dignity to all of our work. Even the most menial tasks. Okay? It does not matter what you do or where you work. God is watching and Jesus is your master. You know what this will do to us? Think about this. You know what this will do? What's going to happen is that every day you're driving to your work and then you like, say that to yourself, okay? Okay, if you're a student, you're driving to school, you're like, God, I'm going to study hard today because you're my master. Okay? You're going driving to work, you're like, God, I'm going to work hard today because I work for you. I don't work for my principal or my boss or my whatever, head doctor or whatever. Okay? You are my master, so I'm going to work hard. Every patient you see, every student you see, you're like, you treat them like Jesus. You know what's going to happen then? Every day you go to work, your workplace will become a training ground for your Christ-like character. You know what we do? Every time we go to work, that's a temptation ground for us to lose it. You know what I'm saying? 
It's like I can go to church and act like a Christian, but when I go to work, I'm somebody else. What we find from today's text is a completely opposite. Every day we go to work is a training ground for Christ-like character. Every time we treat somebody, every time we, we encounter somebody, We know that Jesus is my master. And I'm going to treat you like Jesus. Imagine that each day we go to work, we become more like Jesus. A renowned English writer, Dorothy Sayers, once wrote this. Okay, I didn't put it up there, but I'm just going to read it for you. What is... What is the Christian understanding of work? It is that work is not primarily a thing one does to live, but the thing one lives to do. It is, or it should be, the full expression of the worker's faculties, the medium in which he offers himself to God. In our workplace, Okay, not just the songs and the words that we do when we come to church, okay, but every day in our workplace, we can worship God. Not just on Sabbath in the church, but every day we can worship God. Okay, my work, my workplace, my studying, if you're a student, can be my worship, and I offer it to God. So Loma in the church, I invite you to offer your work to Jesus, your true master. Let us pray.